Welcome to the McShank Podcast. My name's Clayton, and with me always is my partner in crime, Ryan. I'm here. Ryan. Again. What? I think we should start off this particular installment of our yearly charade with something of a milestone announcement. Really? Yeah. Uh, if my math is correct. You're pregnant. And we were just... <laughs> 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 I, I don't know where to go from that um i, I just had flashbacks of, of arnold schwarzenegger and junior and, and i wasn't planning on thinking about junior oh uh, that means in this I'm... top 10 podcast <laughs> does that make me whoever else was in junior i can't i, I was gonna say danny devito thompson yeah i think so We're, this isn't the junior podcast that makes me emma thompson it makes you i like that so would you rather be emma thompson and me be a pregnant arnold schwarzenegger or would the reverse mm. be something you would be into no, I think... Andy, moving on. All right. Uh, Ryan, if my math is correct, this is the 10th year we've sat down and tried to talk about our favorite movies. Does that register? Uh, it does. Uh, I can specifically remember sitting in next to each other. Right now, we've, we've upgraded. We're now across from one another. Like, we are. Heads if up I remember poker. right, we were in your place. I forgot what street it was on. Kenwood. Kenwood. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting at your computer, essentially just to the left and right of each other at like 45 degree angles. Because <laughs> I had such a small a desk. It was so small that it only fit my computer. It did not fit two people at all. No, I mean, what were you doing back in 2008? Gosh. <laughs> I mean, I had just moved here. Yeah. I mean, really, like very soon after that. And then we didn't have a mic. We had one microphone. We didn't have a microphone stand, so the only way we knew to be able to both hear our voices was to get a red plastic solo cup. cup. Yeah. yeah, and put the microphone in there, have the cord stick out and plug into the computer, and then that was the only way we could get it to stand up it was so high, that we could both was, talk about it. It was high-tech shit. I can't believe days. it. I mean, we've upgraded, we but only slightly. Really quickly, how much of your, uh, your number ones in the last 10 years can you rattle off? Okay, so I knew you were going to ask me this. So did you prepare? I tried. I tried my best. And I fucking failed so bad. <laughs> Give me the ones you, you can remember. Okay, okay. So I remember 2008 specifically. We're not going to go into it because everybody knows what it was. 2009. I don't think the people at home know. Okay. Right? Well, we know, and that's all we, that matters. We know what you like to pretend it was. Okay. We don't. They don't know what it actually was. Probably. 2008. If you go back, if there's ever a recording anywhere, it will say, "Milk" was my number one movie that year. Because it was the recency bias. It, it was. Milk was a great film. It was, it was on my list, but mm -hmm. in retrospect, you may have changed your tune. In retrospect, the other movie that would have been released that year is vaulted into my top five movies of all time. So right, right. yeah, I mean. It, Time has given it its due. I won't dwell on the fact that Clayton had the forethought to make this his number one film ahead of time. We'll just gracefully march forward. All right. So there's no recording for 2009 because that one went away. But I believe that was Inglorious Bastards. We had a, a dual number one with Inglorious Bastards. Right. 2010, I had The Social Network. I had 127 hours. 2011, I had a really hard time with, and I could not remember what it was. And I was trying to like scroll through movies and try to figure out. And then I was like, oh, Zero Dark Thirty. That was what I picked at number no. one. No? Number one was Drive that year. Oh. <laughs> Zero Dark Thirty was the next year, my friend. 2012, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, then, I, then you had Drive. And, but somebody was lying then. <laughs> the internet was lying to me on that, that day. You had Drive at twenty, uh, with number one in 2011. It was my number 10 of the year. That's why I remember. Okay. Uh, I had The Tree of Life. Yeah, I remember that. 2012, I had Samsara. Okay. And you had Zero Dark Thirty. I had Zero Dark Thirty. 2013? 2013. Yeah. Do you remember? Uh, no. 
I remember I had blue as the warmest color at number one Ooh. that year. I twenty third. Oh, twenty thirteen was short term twelve. Short term twelve. That's what it was. Yes. Yes. yes a very great, good choice. great movie. Uh, oh, twenty fourteen. We both had Whiplash. Whiplash. Right. It was the yeah. the, the second time we we aligned. Mm-hmm. Uh, twenty fifteen. I had Ex Machina. Yeah, this one I had a hard time with too, and it wasn't even that far away. Yeah. Do you know what it was? Did you listen to it or anything? No, I don't. Who can re- remember? I don't remember what it was. That's the thing. You, you think you, these things we put so much work and so much effort in, into into doing. Oh, I them. remember what it was. What was it? Oh, it was Spotlight. Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, what a boring choice. But... I'm remembering more of your. Of your I know ones exactly. Than you are. <laughs> I know, but exactly it's the same thing about like Oscar trivia. We just dwell on it, and then we go two years later. We're like, ah, I got nothing. 2016, uh, 2016 was last a, year was the was third a, year yeah we arrival with arrival correct yeah. and with, here we've arrived at, at 2017. 2017 will we align again my bets my bet is no i <laughs> go with no <laughs> as well signs uh, point to no signs all, all roadmaps point to no mm-hmm. but let's uh, get into it and have some fun for our 10th year from Los Angeles, it's the McShank Podcast on the McCarran Podcast Network. Here's Ryan and Clayton. All right, Ryan, it's time to get into our top 10. Where are you, where are you going with your number 10, McCarran? My number 10 is a film that we discussed on our transcontinental trans podcast. podcast right. Yes. Um, it's a film called Dunkirk. Uh, a a film about World War II. Actually, funny enough, when we saw Darkest Hour, that movie completely dovetails beautifully into this film. They're it, companion films. Really, 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 really is. It's very amazing how just how that how that worked out. But um, there's a couple movies on my list this year, and I feel like their value as of as a movie is almost directly tied to needing to see it in the theater so i'll exactly. go yeah. through it as we go as we i'll point them out but this is one of those movies that i feel like on its own on its face i feel like you could watch it on an airplane or you could watch it at home I know people that have watched it on an airplane. yeah and it's just I, I feel like what a sad experience that must be i don't know if you would really any get anything no because you because you're not even drawn in like i find i even have a hard time getting drawn into movies that I watch at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's on Amazon or whatever. Distractions like, are all over the place. Yeah, and... it just you're, you're, you're not there specifically for that. And so this movie specifically, I feel like, needed to be seen in a theater. And I'm happy that I did. I'm happy I saw it in, in IMAX the way that I did see it. You know, there's not really a lot of plot. There wasn't much a, of a script. It's almost a direct response to the criticisms he got with Interstellar, where there was almost too much exposition. At least that was one of the main criticisms I saw against it, where people were just constantly explicating their thoughts mm-hmm. and he goes a complete 180 in this film and there's almost no dialogue at all yeah there's no there's frankly no dialogue there was barely even a script there was famous people in it but it was like okay great but the majority of it is just drawn from the drama and drawn from the tension that he's able to build um and the timeline is a really interesting aspect of it as well um the things that take place over so many different the week and the month and or the, the the day and the hour and everything like that and then trying to to merge all of them together i think is a lot harder than than people realize and so i think the fact that he was able to pull that off and make it coherent and make it interesting is yeah I mean, this was Christopher Nolan, Nolan. <laughs> this was Nolan's war story i mean it's it's it has that kind of puzzle framework that is the hallmark of all of his best films where mm-hmm. he's either telling stories in reverse or out of order yeah. or 
he somehow found a way to make the war film his own and really interesting about that he even explicitly tells you how he fractures this movie up in the first couple minutes but it still didn't really click with me on my first viewing until maybe the 45 minutes in like how this was all playing out and Mm -hmm. it took you know certain characters being in scenes at night when other characters were still in the day i was like wait a second i have to go back to this now like oh right this is taking place (laughs) over this amount of time and everything but yeah just i mean wonderful acting in it there's there is there's drama there's tension there's stakes and so number 10 is uh, Dunkirk. So go back and listen to that podcast because that was fresher in, my, in our minds. We can, the, 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 the thoughts are better there. Uh, yeah, I really, <laughs> I really appreciated this movie the second yeah. time around. I, I was fortunate enough to see Nolan do a Q&A um, at the DGA Theater, and it really just, just sunk in how accomplished and, and, uh, and dialed back. It's, what, a 100-minute movie? Mm-hmm. It's he, not long at all. It's not long at all. I don't think it could be as long as other films without killing the audience. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much just nonstop. Crushing. Yeah. Nonstop tension. Um, yeah, I, it actually hurt me to leave this one off uh, my, yeah. my, my list this year. I mean, it's, it's Nolan probably at his most, uh, I don't know, Academy Awards friendly. And, and, yeah. and going by the nominations this year, that would also make sense. Uh, it's the kind of movie that I think they would nominate him for over some of his better movies in the past. Yeah. It's like, okay, if he gets it, it may be like a legacy award. The Scorsese award. Yeah, the yeah. The Departed award. Right, exactly. Which, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, my number 10 is, well, you brought it up in our little preamble. I'm not even sure if it made the air or not, but you'll be hearing about War for the Planet of the Apes really quickly oh, on okay. my list. <laughs> All right. My, number 10. It's my number 10. Uh, we did also discuss this on our trans... Inter- intercontinental yeah. offering of um, twenty. Uh, we should really we should really lock down a name for that. We could do that again <laughs> if it ever happens again. It might be one of a kind. Uh, but this is uh, Matt Reeves' conclusion to the finest trilogy we never knew we needed. Um, it really takes uh, the character of Caesar to his Shakespearean ends in a really classy and elegant way. And I, I can't really you can't talk about this movie and not and not just sling praise for the all immersive visual effects that are so accomplished we take them for granted there are this movie does not shy away from from close-ups on it's almost entirely digital characters although don't tell andy circus that mm. no he's three-dimensional it, mate he's three-dimensional all the facial expressions are mine and that's about it there's not teams thousands of digital artists <laughs> touching me up on a daily basis that couldn't be a part of it clayton are you saying this because you work in visual effects i'm saying this because i care about the truth okay fair <laughs> uh i mean just the uh, to, to circus's credit though i mean the the emotions that register on caesar's face and the moral dilemmas he's weighing in real time are are so fascinating to watch and there's just there's literally a shot in this movie again of a monkey carrying an assault rifle jumping on the back of a horse and galloping away and i was like all right cool yeah i'm on board i'm completely on board <laughs> sold yeah completely sold uh this movie does become a prison movie which is kind of, which is kind of an interesting sharp turn in the narrative when i thought it was going to kind of unfold on a much broader canvas uh it detracted from it at first for me for just how confined the story gets but the more I thought about it, I think there are just some really poetic and, and well-registered just humanism and just empathetic moments in this film that aren't easily dismissed. And the finale has a really nice uh, reintroduction of, of nature in a kind of a metaphorical way that really just uh, belittles the, the, the petty squabbles of the monkeys and humans throughout the movie. And I thought it was a really good touch. Apes. 
Oh, that's right. They're apes. Do I, do I sound like someone from the South right now? <laughs> them damn monkeys. These monkeys. <laughs> them damn monkeys and their I just saw thumbs. a monkey. I just saw a monkey with a gun jump on a horse. Was that an orangutan? I don't know. But I believed it. <laughs> Number 10 is War for the Planet of the Apes. Right. A fitting and melancholic conclusion to a very good trilogy. Uh, my number nine is Call Me By Your Name. Mm. Call Me By Your Name. Your Call name. Me By Your Name. I don't know where they put the emphasis. Put it anywhere. Call is Me By Your a... Name? <laughs> Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, there you name. go. That's I think that's the is. good one. Um, this was a uh, – just. I mean, the, the, the whole thing just starting out kind of reminded me of um, The Talented Mr. Ripley in the way that it shoots and presents Italy. Because um, when I saw the talent of Mr. Ripley for the first time, I wanted to move to Italy. I wanted to live there. I wanted to go. I wanted to see everything. It was basically just like a postcard to this particular place. And I feel like this movie kind of does the same type of thing. I got that that sort of travel bug stirring in me with the way that it shoots the the little villas and the the, the main town that it takes place in. So right there, it's I think you're it, it's right ahead. Um, it's kind of a strange movie experience. And there's something that I would have wished I would have known going into seeing it. Um, and so if anybody out there who hasn't seen it, this is not a spoiler, but there's no antagonist in this movie. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, it's valuable information because you assume the worst sometimes because we've been so conditioned by what has taken place in other types of movies you like this. You feel like this. there's going to be a betrayal at some point. A betrayal point. or someone's going to catch them and someone's going to... Society's going to... Yeah, in, just in, intervene, intervene and everything. Yeah, yeah, and so in that sense, making a movie without a, a, a clear villain, mm. it makes it so you can sort of enjoy the sheer uh, bliss and the, the, the joy that it puts on mm. screen when Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer are together. And... It's sort of like footloose and fancy free at that point, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, the, the only—I guess—the only antagonist is more of a figurative one, and it's their own kind of growing pains, you right? Know? And, and, and coming to terms with their themselves, their sexuality, and, I mean, and, and that's all the, yeah, that's all yeah, the yeah. conflict and drama you really need. I mean, it's got fantastic performances. I mean, it's probably one of the best, well acted, uh, just in terms of a uh, group. Um, Michael Stuhlbarg, who, congrats to him, was in every single pretty, movie pretty this year <laughs> congratulations yeah. for him yeah um his monologue at the end of that movie oh, so it, touching so heartfelt genuine you would think that he was his actual son and the way that that he's able to to convey his thoughts about his feelings about this quote-unquote secret relationship yeah it's, um, it's really only the only time in the movie that stops for kind of like a speechifying mm -hmm. moment but it just rings so true and it's so heartfelt and, and empathetic and understanding that it just kind of Oh, it makes you well up inside. Yeah, of and I mean, it had. I think my knock against it would just why it's not higher is that it. I felt like some of the some of the beats in it were similar to a movie like Brokeback Mountain or this, you know, these forbidden love stories, especially when it's having to do with two men. So it didn't necessarily feel as fresh as maybe it could have, but it absolutely sticks the landing. It's one of the best endings. Um, Oh, I think yeah. of of the yeah. year. I mean, just even that final shot that they've actually been using in the like when they show the little clips for the Golden Globes, like that's what they're using. I'm like, that is a that is a very important shot that you are ruining, and and it makes me upset. But I kind of I kind of yeah. wish they would they would avoid that. Yeah, like ten foot pole. I mean, that's just a pleasure that comes from experiencing. Yes, the movie. exactly. You shouldn't see it out of context. No. Ever. no. So number nine, 
Call Me By Your Name. Good pick. Mm -hmm. My number nine, I'm going to Wind River. Oh! Yeah, the uh, directorial debut from Taylor Sheridan, who has written such films I've enjoyed, like Hell, and High, well, Hell or High Water and Sicario from a few years back. Um, this film maintains kind of the deliberate pacing and really true sense of location that a movie like Hell or High Water brought to the table, where it's almost Terrence Malickian and its mm -hmm. kind of tone poem treatment of its location and its characters is a very kind of uh, just a poetic uh, poetic speed this movie operates on while the characters and the drama is kind of unfolding. Uh, it's, it's very distinct to, in this case, the, uh, the Native American culture and the reservations in Wyoming where most of the story takes place. Um, like Hell or High Water, there's these kind of sudden bursts of extreme violence that are really startling and honestly could not be more intense like the intensity level is just off the roof and it all feels earned and and uh a, a, a realistic byproduct of the situation that's been built up um it's a it's like his other movies it's kind of there's a very human and character driven uh angle by which the lens by which the story is told it goes um very nicely with all the gorgeous photography in the movie uh and a avengers reunion between jeremy yeah. renner and elizabeth olsen and i think a much more satisfying use of their talents uh <laughs> taylor sheridan is becoming kind of must-see tv for me i really like what he's bringing to the table i don't know if you caught this one i did mm -hmm. and it's amazing that he basically wrote all three of those movies in like 18 months mm -hmm. like all three of these movies have come out basically every year and th and so I think that he definitely has a uh, a style and he has a format that he sticks to. This one felt a lot like Sicario, just mm -hmm. in terms of the strong female police officer, you know, trying to see sort of out of her depth coming in, and she needs somebody who knows the area to basically take her along. And and so the way that pairing, the way that they pair up and go and like solve mysteries and stuff like mm -hmm. that, it was 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 pretty neat. And I and I and I. I did enjoy it. it. It was it was again. I had a lot of movies that tied for eleven, right? And so I think this was definitely one of them uh, as well. Yeah, there's a revelation at the end uh, where I wasn't expecting to get a statistic at the end of the movie, but it kind of reframes Sheridan's just reasons for for delving into this community. Mm -hmm. and it's a statistic involving Native American women that was really shocking and uh, kind of even hard to absorb. Um, but I really just appreciated how I, feel, I felt like everything I was looking at the whole movie was an authentic portrayal of a community, which I think would be a little too sensitive and uh, just a little too sensitive for a lot of filmmakers to touch. So I appreciated the effort very much. So I mentioned this off air, but my number eight, it was almost a tie. So it was almost a tie with this movie that I'll mention and another movie and uh, I was just so offended by uh, Clayton's inclusion of a tie last year that I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It felt too Barogian. Even though you knew I would let you have it because I had no legs to stand on. I know, but I, I, for my but, own edification, but, but, but I don't, I don't do fair, things for your well, pleasure. Well, to be fair, tying in number eight is just kind of weird. <laughs> right? Well, okay. The reason why is because they're very similar movies. It's not that it's not that I couldn't decide between number eight. It's just that I felt like this movie plus the other movie that it would have tied with 
Uh, it was very. They're, 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 they have a lot of similarities between the two. I'm waiting. So maybe I'll tell you what the one that it, that I lopped off was, and you can tell me what you think number eight is. How about that. I'm pretty sure I'm going to disagree with whatever you say. Okay. So the one that it was going to tie with. Hey, fuck you. <laughs> what the why? <laughs> anyway, let's just gloss right over that. I said that just because I wanted that reaction. All right. So thank you. <laughs> So the one that was tied with was Atomic Blonde. Ah. So it's not that. It's not okay. Atomic Blonde. Okay. But the movie number eight is John Wick Chapter 2. You made the right choice. Thank you. Yes, I thought so. You made very much the right choice. <laughs> okay. Well, Atomic Blonde is still really – it's still – the action in that movie is great. I don't understand a lick of it, but I completely appreciate all of the action in it. So shout out to Atomic Blonde, I guess. Two or, I didn't think we were going to talk about that movie, so I'm kind of glad that we did. Yeah, I think so. It 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 kicks ass. Like, it really is really, really fun. But it really makes no sense. Absolutely plot – absolutely no sense. Anyway, so John Wick Chapter 2 is what we're really here to talk about today. Another chapter – in the incredibly underrated career of Keanu Reeves. Mm. I mean, this guy just, he's just churning out the hits. Not only is he churning out the hits, but he's doing stuff that he wants to do. And it's like, he's like a huge star, but he's super humble and just really nice in real life. But he still does stuff like, you know, uh, the Neon Demon. And he, you know, is in this little indie film with, you know, two other women and stuff like that. It's like, this guy could do whatever he mm. wants. And he's he plays his type of character. And he has this very, you know... I'll say it's a limited range acting wise, but, but he, he knows how to use what he he's got. Absolutely knows what to do. He's not doing Shakespeare anymore. He's doing <laughs> Constantine. He's doing Neo. He's doing he's doing John exactly Wick. what we want him to do. Exactly. So it's I mean it's wonderfully bloody video game esque. Mm. I mean there are videos online that actually show the the actually the, a lot of the work that went into a lot of the gunplay, which is ninety percent of this movie. Mm. Um, but it's actual military techniques. It's actual, I mean, everything is all legitimately learned and earned. Um, so that's really cool. But it's just so funny that this movie and in the first one, he's just, he's working so hard to just be left alone. Like he's just, <laughs> in a way, he's so curmudgeon because he's like, just go away. Like, just leave me alone. It I just want to live in my just house. It would be better for the world at large if nobody ever talked to him again. <laughs> yes, it would be. But instead, we get these movies, so I guess that's okay. Um, there's a really fun Matrix reunion with him and Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, yeah. That there are definitely conspiracy <laughs> theories out there talking about, or fan theories talking about. Well, then that you they got the take place well, then the you same... got the Constantine and John Wick fan theories as well. Oh, really? What I haven't seen those. Oh, you haven't heard that? No, one. no, no. no. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the John name, obviously. Okay, but, yeah. But uh, it also just kind of takes on this spiritual realm hmm. by the time the movie's over, and and I, I feel like. People are saying Constantine is an unofficial prequel, or, okay. or uh, probably more of like a sequel, actually, to the yeah. John Wick series. Okay. That, you know, that take that happened twelve years ago. Yeah. But it's actually the continuation of the story in, <laughs> into the mythic realm. <laughs> I love that because that means that he literally can't. Yeah, he won't. He will not be killed because he's going to turn into this sort of half demon, half angel kind of guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's so many ridiculous deaths. There's so many scene chewing villains led by Ian McShane. There's that fantastic climactic scene. In the House uh, of Mirrors. In the House of Mirrors, right. and when he's on the train, and we finally get to see him kill a guy with a pencil. Like we were, <laughs> I kind of wish you know, they would have left that. Just to left myth. that out. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't. It was still cool. It though. was still cool, yeah. but I, I didn't like seeing it literally. Maybe leave it in a mythic. Yeah, just keep 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 <laughs> I, that I, mythic I, part of him. I mean, that's the. Yeah. I mean, you got the uh, the cameo by um, I'm forgetting the actor's name now uh, from Fargo in the beginning. Uh, the uh, the guy who plays the brother of the 
Oh, I don't remember. Uh, I can't remember his name yeah. right now. But he goes, <laughs> he, he, there's this great line where he's relaying the story of the pencil to uh, <laughs> to to another uh, one of his henchmen, and he goes, you know, with a fucking pencil. And it just it got <laughs> oh, with the Peter biggest, Stormare. Peter Stormare. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> just got yeah. one of the biggest laughs of me all year. That opening scene, it was like if you thought that this was going to be any different or less than the first one. You are absolutely wrong. I mean, it just starts off with probably the best car chase of the entire year. Yeah. So um, it's just great that we have John Wick in our lives, and that it's so great that it can it can be included on a top ten list with some of these other, uh, let's say, more serious films um, that are on there. So um, yeah, eight is John Wick Chapter Two, but also shout out to Atomic Blonde. <laughs> you wrangled in another film somehow. I like it. Uh, yeah, is John Wick back? I'm thinking he's back. <laughs> John Wick is also on my list. Is it? All oh, right. Yes. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit higher, a little bit higher up the okay. list. All but right. I might as well talk about it now. Sure. Yeah, I, I flat out love this film. It was one of the true grungy genre pleasures of the year. It literally picks up right where the first one mm-hmm. left off, and it doesn't really have the benefit of the crystal clear character motive that John Wick had. Where you know they, they killed his dog. Of course he's going to go on a yeah. kill crazy rampage. Yeah. And this just one, he has the skills and the means to do that, whereas <laughs> the rest of us are like, we got nothing. So, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this one, it, it, it tries to expand the mythology by bringing in this kind of blood oath angle, which is what gets him out of retirement again. Mm-hmm. You know, And it, it's a little more force than, than the first one felt, but they kind of compensate for that lack of uh, believable motivation by just increasing everything that worked about the first movie. All the gunplay, the hand-to-hand combat, the... Uh, uh, the car chases, uh, it, it's all just dialed to 11 to really compensate mm-hmm. for it. Um, this one had a little bit more of a gun fetish that I didn't quite care for. I felt like in the first one, a gun was just the tool of the trade, and he made use of it pretty well. A- aptly. Yeah. <laughs> and this one, it's more about, you know, choosing the correct gun. There's, there's that really amusing uh, cross-cutting montage where he's kind of get, Getting out, get, outfitted get, get, and everything. When he's getting outfitted yeah. in Italy, and this uh, this guy who's selling the weaponry is making all these like the, the, these euphemisms with like you know tableware and mm-hmm. and and, uh, and like cutlery and all yeah. this stuff, which was fun, but it kind of added a little that fetishistic kind of thing that I didn't care for as much. But I just I could see Keanu Reeves just trade blows and crossfire and. And kill, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> for for movies on end, and this like I I can't I never got tired of the. It seems like it's him just fighting henchmen and ending with a double tap to the head for mm-hmm. two hours, yeah, and, right? I, and I never got tired. It's of fine, it. do the, it again. The choreography was great. There's a really clean shot, reverse shot editing at play here, so you never feel lost. You always know where people are in space. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's time to. I completely agree. It's time to induct Keanu Reeves into the all-time action pantheon. Yeah, it really is. He kind of snuck up on us, but I mean, you can't have a resume that includes Point Break, Speed, three Matrix movies, and two John Wick movies without being in that vaulted echelon. Like he is kind mm-hmm. of an unlikely candidate for the list, but he gets my uh, Hall of Fame vote this which year. Is, which is also weird because I don't know. We'll, we'll move on in a second, but. It's also strange because it's not like he is the one who's maybe driving it with his performances. It's just that he has just, you know, he, he just has picked classics. It's not like we go, oh, man, like Keanu Reeves is really, really nailing this character here. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, the only one that you can really say is 
is him in Point Break, like because that's <laughs> yeah. just the most. That's just basically like Ted in yeah, right. Ted, in, Ted. in an action movie. Like yeah. that's it. But, but like with all this other stuff, it's like oh yeah, because like you're right. Like it just sort of sneaks up on you, and it's not as a result of of his performances. Right. But he's still great in them because you're like, well yeah, it's Keanu Reeves, obviously. So yeah, he's, I, he's, he, his career is an interesting career to uh, to look at. Yeah, so. I, I love the world building with the with the Continental and just delving mm-hmm. more into the secret assassin society, and I. I say bring on chapter three. I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, well, my number eight is kind of a film in the same vein in terms of just pure genre delights. It's one of the most recent movies I saw on the list. It's called Brawl and Cell Block 99. Oh, I saw that it was on Amazon, and I wanted to watch it before this, but I didn't get a chance to. So, so it's the follow-up from um, S. Craig Zoller, who did uh, Bone Tomahawk last. And um, Bone Tomahawk is a movie that really should have made my list at the time. Uh, it's this unbelievably gruesome and hilarious horror Western that needs to be seen to be believed. And this is just a worthy follow-up, and it makes me a true believer of Vince Vaughn again. Because hmm. uh, Vince Vaughn kind of got lost in a, a dull comedy vortex for about 10 years. I mean, there's some good stuff in there, like of course, but I was ready for The Cell and Psycho and Domestic Disturbance Vince Vaughn hmm. to come back. Because this movie knows how to use Vince Vaughn as just a sheer physical presence. It knows how to make him intimidating. It knows how to use his (laughs) prowess in a good way. And he gives a good, committed, dramatic performance. And there's not really... There's definitely some gallows humor in the movie, but it doesn't usually come from him. It's Hmm. more of just the situations. Um, There's just this bone-crunching brutality that is just like playing the most gruesome video game you've ever played, but seeing it play out in real time. Uh, I <laughs> I flat out love this film. Like, there's there's literally a scene where Vince Vaughn just destroys a car for three minutes. That was in the trailer. <laughs> and that, and I didn't that, even see yeah, the trailer. The trailer, so yeah. The, it took me by surprise. Scene, yeah, it's like Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, yeah, it's like that bonus round <laughs> yeah. of Street Fighter. Exactly. <laughs> where, you, where you're just... Uh, you're, you're just throwing fireballs just uppercutting at him. <laughs> throwing yeah. uppercuts. Yeah. Oh, you can... <laughs> yeah, like, that's a literal scene in this movie. And it basically... Uh, the plot really kicks into gear when he gets thrown into prison after a uh, a drug deal he was a part of went bad, and basically he has to navigate his way through prison to basically to to quash all the the ghosts of his past from the outside that are uh, th- that are threatening to dismantle his life. It's a super entertaining, super dirty, grungy genre movie, and and uh, I appreciated every second of it, and I think everybody should seek it out. I'm looking forward to seeing it for sure. Just an unapologetic good time at the movies. Speaking of unapologetic good time at the movies, my number seven is Lady Bird. Ah, <laughs> that's what people say about that, right? That should be on the poster. It really is. It, yeah, I mean, no, it's, it, it speaks really to us specifically because mm-hmm. it's kind of the the, the very same uh, period of our lives. We're yeah, it was. School. I was going to say that there was. It basically puts a decent light on some of the worst music that was popular <laughs> when we were in high school. Uh, oh, it's but not all bad. No, I know. I'm joking, though. But uh, it was interesting to see that. I mean, especially for you, because, I mean, you grew up I've in, never seen Sacramento portrayed as Sacramento. Yeah, it really was strange. In such like, a loving way. There's so many shots of, like, the Tower Theater, and I go, I drive past that every time I go to my dad's house. Like, it's yeah. great. Um, but this is just an incredibly sweet, and incredibly realistic, real feeling coming of age tale. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I'm not a, I wasn't a 17 year old girl when this movie, when, when, during the time period this movie was being released, but. But you were a few years ago? I was, yeah, I played one on TV. <laughs> um, but the, uh, 
but just the way that I was able to connect with her struggles, I think shows that it's everybody's struggles and just, I mean, fantastic performances by everybody. I think the heart of the movie is the relationship of Laurie Metcalf and Tracy Letts with Lady Bird. Laurie Metcalf, especially, she's been getting a lot of the played and awards time and stuff like that. But um, I thought Tracy Letts was fantastic in this movie. And I think he is a really underrated actor as the father. And their dynamic, both together and also with her individually, um, I think is just wonderful and I think really makes the movie for me. Um, the, the realism is there in the writing. And like I said, it's it, it's our time period. It's us. I mean, we graduated in that exact time. Yeah, I think Greta Gerwig's maybe like a year or so older than me. Yeah. Like a year or two at the most. So it was... It was really like a time capsule. It was right in there. It was funny because it was like it was like a time capsule because it was like, hey, there's the Iraq War starting. Hey, there's yeah. Justin Timberlake going solo. And hey, here's there's these Dave, clothes. There's Dave Matthews band. Yeah, exactly. Radio. Like everybody's wearing loose fitting suits. Like what are you doing? So, um, so yeah, I mean, just the the realism from Northern California um, and the performances and the writing and just it's very sweet. It's a very sweet film. And uh, I think that's my number seven, Lady Perfect. Bird. I also enjoyed Lady Bird. I, uh, one of the four or five that I really struggled leaving off the list, it was um, just an extremely confident and assured slice of life movie from Greta mm-hmm. Gerwig. And yeah. I never even thought of her as a potential directorial talent, but no. uh, I think we have to now. I think she is. she's coming on strong. She's nailing it. Yeah. Um, well, my seven uh, was John Wick Chapter 2. Okay. So why don't we move on to your number six? All right. My number six is Phantom Thread. Hmm. Um, and I don't know what it is. There's just there's something kind of exciting and enthralling about seeing the opening shots from a new film from an accomplished director. Yeah. I don't know if there's just sort of, I don't know if it's just you're sort of excited to see it or if the film itself is just, you know, is setting it up. It, it's, it, it's an interesting thing I was going through in my brain. Um, but the beginning of this movie sets up the style, the feel, the pace. I mean... There's almost like a quiet haunting over the film. It's very ghost-like quality. There's lots of, I mean, and even so, it takes place in like the in different parts of the UK, and so it's very, you know, they have these little towns. Everything's it, it feels very ghost-like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of in the subdued vein of There Will Be Blood mm-hmm. or The Master, and less like Inherent Vice and Boogie Nights. Like he right. definitely has two yeah. tentpole styles that he goes with and never the two shall meet. Um, but it plays like a stage play. I mean, the whole movie kind of unfolds. There's really three main actors in the entire film. You have bit players who kind of come in and out, um, but really the the whole main piece of it is just with these three, and it's anchored by, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis. Incomparable. Incomparable. Never ever wastes a movement ever no everything is so calculated so deliberate and so just right on point exactly what it needs to be and i think that's kind of what makes him so incredible is that he's not always doing this over the top and yeah he gets into the method but i think it's just that especially in a movie like this where he's not doing something like lincoln or something like daniel plainview where there's an accent or a costume it's involved. not as big or no. with uh, any expectations it's a much more subdued role yeah but it and but it's it, still eccentric but yes but it doesn't carry these kind of lofty expectations i mean just his eye movements he doesn't do anything that the scene it doesn't do anything extra that the scene doesn't need everything is just self-contained and just it is where that is um he plays uh, a fictional uh 
fashion designer named Reynolds Woodcock. Was, was I the only one who expected to see Daniel Day-Lewis get a costume design credit on this movie? <laughs> yes. He made a costume, or he made a dress outside of, uh, in, in preparation for the film, apparently. As well. I really wouldn't be surprised if he knitted his entire wardrobe from scratch. <laughs> I mean, he's obsessed. Woodcock is obsessed with uh, perfection. And as it went along, I sort of saw it as a proxy for P.T. Anderson because hmm. he's sort of... That's interesting. He is sort of, I don't want to say infamous for wanting this perfection within his films as well. I mean, multiple takes and trying to just get everything just so. And it shows when he when he makes a film. Hmm. Um, there's a fantastic score by Johnny Greenwood. Best score of the year. In my yeah, opinion. it's fantastic. Um, and I think it's interesting the way he uses sound in the movie. I'm surprised it also didn't get a sound editing nomination or like a sound design nomination because mm-hmm. there is... There's so many times where sound plays such a major role in actually figuring out uh, Woodcock's personality, and it plays in when you have the the scraping of the toast in the morning oh, or yeah. people biting things. I mean, that sort of heightened sound it rattles around in his brain a little bit. You could tell that it throws him off because it throws us off too, and right. so I think it, it it is a window into his eccentricities eccentricities there you yeah, go there you go I like um, idiosyncrasies there you maybe. go so it's a very I think it's a solid entry in the PT filmography <laughs> even if it's like a tiny bit too long um, but my final my final word of it would be please don't leave Daniel Day-Lewis please <laughs> please don't leave us no he'll spend another 10 years making shoes and realizes that he misses it and he'll come back he's like the Brett Favre of actors <laughs> he will <laughs> yeah um, this film is very high on my list this is my okay. number this is my number two film of the oh, year oh okay um, so I might as well talk about it sure now. Um, do you agree with my uh... my first my number my number one and two films of the year are films of very sumptuous textures I would say and this is a film that you really love to just slip into and enjoy. Um, you feel like the the artist at work is just so in command of his craft that you'll go wherever he wants to take you. Um, and I will say, the person, the actress you you didn't bring up by name, but Vicky Kreps. I don't know how you, how you pronounce her the last sister, name. Sister, right? No, his uh, his love. Oh, his love. Okay. Yeah. I'd never heard of her before. No, I, and the woman, and, his sister either. I had never heard of her oh, either. I'd Maybe heard, that's just me. Yeah, I think she's yeah. a little bit from the older guard, but she's been in quite a few movies, I think. But, but uh, yeah, uh, Vicky Kreps, the one who plays uh, his lover and the one who finally is able to crack his uh, exterior shell to some extent, really goes toe-to-toe with Daniel mm-hmm. Lewis in this movie and doesn't blink. <laughs> I was amazed that this talent out of seemingly nowhere just came along and held the screen with Daniel Day-Lewis. I think her not getting a Best Actress nomination may be one of the biggest snubs of the year for me because this movie just simply doesn't work without her. It's that yin and yang, that that uh, that counterbalance to Daniel Day-Lewis's just general oddness and his, uh, really, his really insular lifestyle that is it's the heart of this entire film. Um, I mean, what can you say about a PTA and DDL movie? Like, it's just, they're both at the peak of their powers. It's like, it's like watching a Lennon and McCartney reunion, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that, that it's its just a gift to the movie world. Yeah, anytime any of them does anything individually, it's an event, but then they come together, and it's like, oh, well, of course, this is going to be... <laughs> of course it's going to be good. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do love that there's also a slightly morbid sense of humor that worked its way into oh, this yes. film. Oh, yes. Won't spoil it, but yes, there well, is. Won't spoil it. Yeah. I mean, I, the only thing I will say is that after seeing and being disappointed by Sofia Coppola's movie, The Year of the Beguiled, 
this is the one movie you should see that features mushrooms in an important okay. role. <laughs> and that's all we'll say. And about that's it. all I'll say about yeah. that. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is uh, this is this is must see TV. Yeah, uh, Phantom, sure. Phantom Thread is something that should be seen in seventy millimeter. I'm actually going to see it. Uh, they're gonna be, it's gonna be playing at the Ace Theater in about a month, hmm. and it's gonna be a live orchestral accompaniment for the score. <sighs> So it, I it, it, about this. it was like a hundred dollar ticket. All right, forget <laughs> so, it. So <laughs> I, I, I'm going. It's going to be worth it. I, I hope it's worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it's it. It's going to be worth it. Absolutely, I'm gonna not going to regret it. any yeah. second of it. But yeah, yeah, I highly enjoyed Phantom Thread. What's <laughs> your number six, Clayton? Uh, my number six is the most unlikely horror film of the year. This is Get, get Out. Out. This is Get Out. Get Out. Mm-hmm. Is that like Gal Gadot's last name? It's like <laughs> it's, is it Gadot or is it Get Out? Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? We're the experts, and we don't even know. <laughs> I don't think she knows how to pronounce. That's true. Like, I don't know. Have, have I heard, go. I, I've heard it's Godot, but I've also heard people go. Well, no, of course not. It's Godot. No, go, yeah, what? no. But I think she's saying Godot, but in her but in her accent, it sounds like Godot. Hmm. If that makes any sense. <laughs> well, could you say that we're waiting for Gal Godot? All right. Thanks for it. In the back there, I got got a laugh. But, there. <laughs> but this is Get Out was truly one of the surprise pleasures of the mm-hmm. year. Uh, I'd followed Jordan Peele and, and Keegan Michael Key loosely with their other stuff, and then they're obviously comedians that have to be reckoned with in the 21st century. They're just ter- terrific. But and now they're like performers or artists who have to be reckoned with. Now just they're just in that fl- way. Yeah, out artists. Yeah. yeah, this film walks a tightrope between comedy and horror that is astounding. It, it there it's really like comedy and horror just holding hands and walking through the movie. <laughs> it's you get one beat that is just hilarious and another beat where you're recoiling in, in terror. Uh, it's just a confident, distinguished film by a black man made for black people that also somehow managed to hit with the rest of the public. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of it's kind of a minor miracle. Um, there's just a an artfulness and an ingenuity that kind of blindsided people. Uh, there's so much to commend about this. Um, just the the awkward, uncomfortable laughter he's able to wring out of social situations. Um, the the bringing of actual terror out of those circumstances to a point that is really the worst case scenario for this situation. Like uh, there's this look on Daniel Kaluuya's face while the movie is happening, where like it's just the kind of those probably those un- uncomfortable situations he's gone his whole life dealing with. And there's this part of him in the back of his head that's like knowing the extreme outcome of this, but like, you know, it can't be that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that can't be where this is going. Yeah. Is it, I'm just going to have to get through this weekend. Yeah. And because we think that too. That's what we we think. have no yeah. idea. I mean, going in, if you didn't know the story of this movie, you would be thinking, you would sort of be on edge thinking, all right, well, what's really going on here? Or like, what's th- this is a little too strange. Where is this going to lead? And so in that way, we can sort of see ourselves in Daniel Kaluuya in, in that yeah. sense. Yeah. There, there, there are just these little signposts staged mm-hmm. throughout the movie that show yeah. where this could potentially go. And it's horrible. And of course it goes there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, well, even worse than you would think. I, I would say, I mean, it's, I would say it's worse than I thought <laughs> that, that it would have been. It, it is kind of worse than you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like, it's like literally worst case scenario, um, mm-hmm. and there's just real moments of art that have to be taken seriously in this film. The way that the the sunken place is just held up as this literal and and metaphorical void that some of the some of the most uh, terror, the vehicle by which most of the terror comes out in this movie, 
it's really blindsiding. It's such an amazing visual, the way it's portrayed. Mm-hmm. And when you see it, it kind of just knocks you on your ass. Um, I was just really impressed with it overall. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya's performance is really terrific. Uh, he's, he's really able to be the surrogate for the audience. And, and being in this uncomfortable place where he is obviously the outsider and having to, to deal with every cliche he's ever come across in his entire life just embodied in this one family <laughs> uh the, the the supporting performances are terrific um there's an actress named betty gabriel who plays I was just looking up her name georgina yeah. the maid wow is, is some unbelievable it's some emotional pain wrung out of this character uh i think there's there's the scene where he's really starting to clue into why this place is so off and she delivers this performance that's it's trying to save face but she lets the, all of this just sh- raw emotional pain just slowly just seep out of her. And it's it's kind of an amazing movie moment. It's a really cinematic moment that I loved. Uh, and it's very iconic. And in, in, in a movie full of iconic uh, just, you know, settings and people, it's like that, that shot of her or that just that sequence when you see her face, when you, yeah, see, it, she, when you trying, see a still image of that, you go, yeah. oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I know what's up. I know what this is from. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I I've always found horror and comedy to have this really intriguing existential bond. You know, like horror laughs and scares typically are are like yin and yang. Mm-hmm. You know, or or it's just they always accompany each other. It's like they always counterbalance each other. Um, and Jordan Peele has has crafted kind of the, I think the physical embodiment of that with this movie. Do you think that it has a chance? I think it's a I think it's a dark horse because I think that a lot of the people in the Academy are like, you know, I would have voted for Obama a third time. I was like, hey, like, you know, you know, I, I love voting for Moonlight last year. Like, that's, I feel like, the only reason I think, because they're all trying to be so woke that they're going to just be like, yeah, oh, Moon- yeah, get out, right? It's like, yeah. yeah. So the, the septuagenarian academy yeah. base is trying to, is really trying to be woke. Yeah, I could see I, that. Yeah, I, ex- I, I, I was not surprised that it got a nomination, but I think it has, like, a very slim chance of winning. Like, it would not surprise me if they were like, oh, get out. I'm like, okay, cool, because this is just the movie for for this particular time period so yeah i don't know do you think it has a chance i i don't think it's gonna win <laughs> no but i think it's a no. very good film and it should have been nominated yeah, fair enough what's your number five ryan my number five is another uh just another tapestry of color and beauty uh blade runner 2049 mm. blu-ray sitting right there on my dresser there i can seal it I, yeah i think i could even feel it it's a blockbuster that makes you think can you imagine denny villeneuve again back on the list again nearly a three-hour rated r film okay first of all fuck ridley scott okay <laughs> it doesn't matter that you know what you know what else didn't make a lot of money blade runner the original <laughs> blade runner did not did not do that well commercially i'm really i'm really taken off guard by your by your anger toward ridley scott because right why because why would you try to undermine this great great film i don't, even know, I don't even know what he said he basically he blamed the length he said oh the reason people didn't go see this movie is because it's too fucking long <laughs> you talking about man really like scott's like 89 yes he old. really is super old and should not be making movies but and i like that denis villeneuve said like hey ridley like appreciate what you did here buddy but i'm making my own movie so G- kindly gtfo kindly um, fuck off sir yes exactly but he's a brilliant director roger deakins is absolutely amazing this is another one of those movies that benefits greatly from theatrical mm-hmm. um i saw it on imax it was great um just his levels of blues and oranges and the the that whole piece of it is absolutely masterful but what really struck me is that he has the same panache when he's filming a conversation as when he's filming 
uh, an action sequence, when he's filming a love scene, when he's filming, everything is just done absolutely to a hilt. And that's both of them together, Villeneuve and Roger Deakins. Right. Um, they should have just given Roger Deakins the Academy Award at the premiere. Uh, I, I really, 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 that's the one major thing I'm really rooting for is for him to win. Um, I think this is his year. I saw the other nominees and yeah. uh, I think this is, this is the year. This right? is definitely it. I think where we can all just exhale the film oh, community finally. at large. Yes. Realize this man finally gets his hardware. I mean, he, I mean, I think the biggest thing that the director did was he got a great performance out of Harrison Ford because that had a lot of nuance to the role that was never yeah. frankly there. Yeah. And his inclusion in the movie, it never feels forced or shoehorned or like, oh, we need to have this guy in because it's a Blade Runner movie. It actually feels natural and is, I felt like it was weaved into the story very well. And they didn't they didn't do it too early. They waited quite they a waited while. They waited a while. It had to be a good two hours in. Two hours in at the least, movie, right? Yeah. yeah. And then, but you can also point out there's so many different action sequences and just sequences in general that are just so memorable. I mean, the, the, the fight scene in the rain, I mean, even the opening of the movie with Ryan Gosling and Dave Bautista, it's the best mm -hmm. acting Dave Bautista's done, <laughs> but just the, the, the building of the tension consistently without really using music and just mm -hmm. showing the shot of the uh, pot boiling on the, uh, on the stove and just, mm -hmm. you know, something's going to boil over. You're not sure, <laughs> yeah. but you're like, just do it. So, um, being able to do all of that incredibly well. It doesn't surprise me that Denny did this movie, yeah. um, but I'm happy that it exists. I'm sorry that it didn't. I, I'm bummed it didn't make money, um, but that doesn't necessarily take away my enjoyment of it because I thought it was absolutely wonderful. You know, I, I do think that this film surpassed the original film, and I think the only thing it's really lacking is kind of a Roy Batty that really takes, it just really vaults it into an, another level of, existential meaning you know that's a what batty roy batty i don't know what that is that's what this character from Roger oh Hunter right okay sorry i was like i was usually b-a-d-d-i-e well, welcome, welcome to the movie like, podcast what? ryan sorry sorry <laughs> it really is missing that <laughs> like a royal batty what is he what, what he talking about <laughs> a really batty royal got it yeah that's so what really, that's literally uh, what i thought you meant it, it's missing some batty royalty okay fair <laughs> Um, no, but this movie does surpass the original film. I think in almost every respect, in 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 art direction, in ideas, in uh, themes, themes, in a in a Harrison Ford performance. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that it, it is mis the 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 Rugger Hauer soliloquy at the end of the first film is really the moment that I think vaults the movie into a special category because I think up until then it's it's not it doesn't make a, a, a huge case to be remembered as a classic. You know, I think it's some super artful interesting ideas but Rugger Hauer really cashes them out and makes the movie much more I think than it started out as, as on paper whereas um, this movie I think gives a, a commendable Ryan Gosling performance and Harrison Ford again on like what is this his farewell tour of like signing know, all of his all, signing yeah, all, off all his, his characters most iconic yeah. characters what are we going to do in Indy 5 it's going to be an Indy 5 um be God, 82 years God, old they're probably filming it he, he will that's not even a joke no i know it's not <laughs> welcome to the movie podcast clayton <laughs> whoa you can't not turn that back around on me that was nowhere near a comparable moment <laughs> you're still you're you're still uh climbing uphill buddy hey the fourth one's not bad okay, <laughs> the fourth indiana jones yes yeah, you know that come on it's not that bad uh, all right, I'll let that moment speak for itself. No, I really did like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I didn't. It didn't make my list this year, but I really next year it will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure what that means. Oh. 
but no, it's uh, it's a, it's a heavy th- sci-fi movie full of ideas, a, a, a consistent, committed vision, and I, I don't expect anything different from Denis Villeneuve. No, pro- of course t- not. Till the end of time. Absolutely. No. What's your uh, number five? Good pick. My number five is the killing of a sacred. Ah, bear. didn't make my list, but it almost <laughs> again, it almost it, it it was one of those ones where I could slot it in at five and I could leave it off. Right. This is, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll this is piece. just a this yeah. is just a typical nosedive into depravity from Yorgos Lanthimos, the the uh, uh, uniquely bizarre Greek director who brought us such films as Dogtooth and The Lobster from a couple years ago. And I'm regretting more and more leaving both of those films off my yearly list with each passing year. Did you um, watch them again after this, or did you just? I've only seen them the one time. You, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, but this kind of takes that same very deliberate semi quasi stilted dialogue style of his other movies and leaves a little bit of the dark comedy, but really adds a lot more of psychological terror into the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's really interesting. I think he draws a little bit on Greek mythology for this, for the, the plotting of this, which I haven't looked too much into, but this film has a really fascinating structure. Uh, the first hour is essentially all set up. You, there's a really weird dynamic going on between Colin Farrell and uh, Irish actor Barry Keegan in a much different role than we saw him in Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the first hour is all set up, and it's really funny. There's some really gallows, morbid, black comedy moments, but there's also this underlying tension that's just soaking through every scene as you don't really feel, you don't really know the full background of these characters. And it takes about an hour in before Barry Keegan really just drops a bombshell on Colin Farrell that is so crazy that he starts laughing. Like, Barry Keegan actually starts laughing after he says this. And it's almost like this release of tension. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of funny because it's crazy. And it stays funny until you see what he says start to actually play out in reality. (laughs) It's the most most fucked up movie of the year. It's absolutely the most fucked up movie of the year. But it's also one of the most captivating movie experiences of the year. Because if you could tell me where this movie is going, I say I give you your wizard hat. (laughs) Yeah. And and I bow down to your wizardness for the rest of my life. It's impossible to know where this movie is going. And by the time it's over... That's kind of the only place it could have gone mm-hmm. in, in some respects. Um, but I really love how this movie is, it's, it's really, it's in reality for the first half of it. And then it just gets more and more bizarre as these seemingly mystical forces start to come into place. And the, uh, the Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman headed family really just starts to completely unravel and be systematically destroyed by this child character and how that how that plays out just has to be seen to be believed Mm -hmm. um there is a a scene at the end of this film that is so intense i was like watching it through like blinds eyes you know (laughs) like my fingers were like blinds in front of me i i could not bear to see what happens uh the Keegan performance is really the key to this whole movie. Like he goes to some places that I think it's not crazy to put him in the conversation of like a Heath Ledger Joker and like an Anthony and like a Anthony Hopkins Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Like there is just <laughs> there's a what, consistency. Uh, I think I think that's the thing that that drives it is that oh my god he never there's gets this, he, it, he never it, gets above a whisper basically. No, no, it's so it's so quiet. It's like this this quiet detached sadism and and just this conniving quality that 
I honestly think it's one of the best performances of the year. <laughs> and I think it's not the kind of movie that's going to play well really with anybody outside of like maybe one and a half percent of the mm-hmm. film public. So it's not going to get the recognition it deserves, but it absolutely deserves to be talked about in the best performances of the year. Yep. Uh, again, not an easy film to recommend, no. but uh, it is one of the most engaging and frankly mortifying experiences yeah. of the year. I like that the, the, the mystical, I think that was a good way to put it, the mm. mystical properties and the mystical mm. qualities of what starts to happen. And I love that that's just never explained. No, like it, it's, it's slowly accepted. Yeah. You know, begrudgingly accepted. Yeah. It, it has to be any other explanation than what's actually happening. By them in the family and by mm. us as the audience. You just sort of go, all right, I'm on board. This is, <laughs> this is what this is, and this, then this is what's happening. You just go along with yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, my you gosh. Ha- you have to because it just it keeps getting more. You can't dismiss it with every passing minute. There's something really strange happening, and I'm, the characters are forced to come to terms. I'm probably going to regret that one but um, <laughs> in the future. But uh, Goddamn right you will. Oh, wow. Okay. Rude. <laughs> Um, so, so much tension between it, us. It, it had been year. a while it's before. Ten years. It had been a while before one of us had really questioned the integrity of each other's list. So I guess. I'm, I'm glad I'm. Yeah. I'm putting a check in that column. Fair. Hey, ten years better late than never. I guess. <laughs> oh boy. I wonder what some of our worst picks are in those ten years. I wonder if we could go back and. What's our and most like, regrettable picks? Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to go back and, and listen to those. But if anybody's got twenty extra hours to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and listen to all the episodes. There's probably a tell me. There's probably a few. There's probably a, a, some stuff a few, that hasn't a few hasn't aged well. in there. Yeah. Uh, what so we, is this your I think number five four. I did Blade four? Runner was number five. Right, so number, number four, four is uh, Blade Runner again. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I just you, put it on there twice. You side one. The film so the film's so nice. Um, uh, my number four is The Big Sick. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, let's get something straight. This is not a romantic comedy. I have seen so many people talk about, oh, it's a romantic comedy. Like, it has comedy because the main character is a comedian. Do you not think it's what romantic comedy should be? No, I don't think it should. Because I think that that specific genre is its own genre. Romantic comedy, it's there. We have movies that are like that. Yeah, but... I don't think that... But but it's like it's a difference between Annie Hall and The Notebook, though, at the same time. But I don't think The Notebook is trying to strive to be the big sick. I think The Notebook is what it is. It's actually more of a straight romance. But it's it's not the best example. Yeah, but but I mean, but it's like... But like, yeah, I can't even think of any like rom-coms right now. But... Mm -hmm. I think it, it, it is romantic and it has comedy, but I don't think it's what you think, what has come to be in the past like 30 years yeah. of like a romantic comedy. Maybe like Roman Holiday or something, right? That that would be kind of a prototypical romantic Probably. comedy a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say well, something but, like so, that. But, but, yeah. but what is this movie to you? I think it's a brilliant family drama. Mm-hmm. I think that there are great elements in talking about marriage and talking about love and talking about sickness. Um, I think it's... I think it's a dramedy. That's what I just put it under. Okay. I mean, there's romantic parts of it because it has to do with, you know, there are portions of it that are romantic and having to do with love, as I mentioned, with marriage. Um, but it doesn't strike me. It's it's not like we need to put this in the same category as Roman Holiday or mm-hmm. as You've Got Mail or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, that's out of the way. That was just my one thing I've just always... He keeps it's a romantic comedy. No, it's not. Um, Are you having to fight off a lot of this romantic comedy stuff from no, the people well, you're talking to? No, I just I, I just have seen it written when when I write when I when I read articles about mm-hmm. it or when I see it talked about on Twitter or something like that. I feel like, like that's the easy categorization. It is. Right? It is. It but, doesn't. Uh, it's, it's it's kind of a surface level. But there are so many other it, different yeah. things. I think it elevates it to that. I mean, and partly that starts with the screenplay. I. I I thought they were going to get a screenplay nod as soon as I saw it. Uh, Emily Gordon and Camille Nanjiani, um, 
There's just an organic quality to it, right? Yeah, it really is. I yeah. mean, it, it feels... Just like it's happening in the moment. It feels very lived in because it is. It's the true story of mm -hmm. basically how they got together. And Kumail's struggles with his religion, with his family, and his values there. And, you know, they have these... this. Um, in in Islam, there's the um, the arranged marriage. arranged marriages, yeah. and in the United States, we don't have that, and so it's that it's that battling heads of well, this is where you're from, but this is sort of where you are now. Um, but it's, it, but it's it, still very humanizing of just a, yeah. a, a culture that many of us you know have no idea find uh, find mysterious, mm -hmm. you know. So it's it, it doesn't shy away from the truths of the culture, but it also just kind of shines a light on the you know the the, the common values mm -hmm. that the common family values that we still share. I mean, it's it to me. It reminds me a lot of last of Don't Think Twice. Yeah, well, it is kind of an ex a study of comedy mm -hmm. you know, all, all, while all this other stuff's going on too. And it probably laid the groundwork for them, I think, to get noticed at Sundance. Maybe a movie like this with a comedian and the lead maybe doesn't get a notice, but maybe because of the success of Don't Think Twice, it's mm -hmm. possible that that helped this. Um, but I think it in the end, while it's funny. Uh, it balances every single emotion that it has in it so well, and yeah. it doesn't let one run away. It doesn't become overly funny. It doesn't become overly dramatic. It doesn't become overly sad. It doesn't become overly blah. You know, it's it, it, it everything is just very well in balance, and it makes it feel very um, connected. It, it it it's connected all very well that way. I mm -hmm. thought, and Holly Hunter's amazing in it. Ray Romano and Holly Hunter, yeah. I, I think, are works really so great. well together. Yeah. I mean, there was the examination of their own marriage within the larger framework of the story, mm -hmm. and it kind of speaks to what um, experience the um, the two leads are kind of going through. It's it's like the you know the the, the wise. It's 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 like the it's an examination of a relationship that's been consummated and you know they've been married. They've yeah. gone through all this stuff, and Ray Romano has some really hilarious words of wisdom throughout mm -hmm. the movie that are a little questionable in some cases. Like, wait, she's tell you told me you had to cheat on her yeah, to right, really to appreciate do, yeah. her. <laughs> well, at the time it sounded good, and then I said it, and it just didn't. Yeah. But but it's but that balance of it where you have such a new relationship or even a relationship that has lost its way, balance with this. Okay, we've been married for twenty five years, you know that's at play, and maybe yeah. oh hey they have the same type of problems too. Yeah, and well, and another reason why it, it does kind of shed that romantic comedy label is I mean half of this romantic comedy duo is not really in the movie at all. Mm -hmm. You know she's she's hospital bound and she's she's in a coma, a medically yeah. induced coma, and it's. And it's all about. Uh, I always forget. Have trouble pronouncing his name. What's his Kumail name? Nanjiani. Kumail Nanjiani. Mm -hmm. Very good, Ryan. Thank you. Well, he's been one of my favorite comedians for a while, so I was really excited for this, and I feel like yeah. it, it had it had a. It, it it also I feel like knowing it. I mean, spoiler alert for the big sick. I'll let you give you four seconds to turn it off. <laughs> all right, that's enough. Okay, so they get together in the end. <laughs> the reason the thing is, we knew that story because I've followed him for years and followed Emily as well just in terms of their career and in comedy and stuff like that. And so I know they end up together. This movie isn't The Departed. No. I know they're going to end up together. So that part of it is not really that part of the drama, the will they, won't they, or something like that. Like, that part of it doesn't it, – it, it doesn't may go, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I know what's going to happen. They're going to get together. They're going to get married. They're going to produce amazing things. So that's what's, that's what's going to happen. So – I think people maybe not knowing that, like we showed that to uh, my wife's family. We watched it on Christmas and they'd never seen it. And there was a lot, there was a little bit of tension right there at the very end where my mother-in-law said, well, did they get together? What happened? You know? And then they show the photos of them in real life. And it's like, okay, no, they actually had a Pakistani wedding and they accepted him and everything like that. I'm like, okay, I knew this. That's fine going in. But for someone who maybe doesn't know the story, that could be like really, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. So 
Number four, The Big Stick. Really, again, one of the five films vying for number 10 for me. I really enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. Do we dare... Do we have the courage to talk about the 9-11 joke in this movie? <laughs> I think we'll let it speak for itself, I think. Let's just say there's a 9-11 yeah. joke in this movie that I am... It's just one of the best moments of the year, like yeah. flat out. Mm-hmm. It's one of the funniest moments. I never thought I would say that, but it just... It's so courageous and mm-hmm. so ballsy. I can't believe they actually went through with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... It's just, it's just a miracle of comedy. It's one of those moments. Anyway, I, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's an excellent pick. Uh, my number four is Raw. Ooh. This film I is... I saw this one. You did? I did see this one. Who oh. forced you to see it is the better question. My wife. <laughs> Who appreciates horror films. She does. She does. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, well, this film is this high on my list for the simple reason that it makes me squirm <laughs> not many films I thought you are going to say hungry <laughs> <laughs> well I thought that was assumed Ooh, I'm starving after this I don't know why <laughs> not many films can really make me squirm in my seat uh, they don't have that much of an effect on my desensitized jaded soul that I'm saddled mm. with in my 34th year of life now wow uh, the film is about a young vegetarian attending vet school that develops a taste for let's just say meat after a hazing ritual is just goes all kinds of wrong uh there are things there are things in this film that we shouldn't see and frankly shouldn't even think about (laughs) it's all it's all done with a very stylistic flair uh very generous levels of ambiguity and frankly a sickening sense of humor (laughs) uh that's all I really need to say. Uh, the last shot's one of the most shocking, mm-hmm. blunt, and hilarious moments of the year. Yeah. Uh, if you're in the mood for an uncomfortable sit that will have you grinning and grossed out in equal measures, make it raw. Mm. Not the uh, not the Eddie Murphy movie. Make sure you don't watch the. I mean, not that <laughs> it's not good in its own way, but it's not. It's very different. You will feel very different after watching both of those. They're uh, they're they're on different uh, they're on different sides of the menu. Slightly we'll different, yeah. yeah. What's your number three? My Ryan? number three is a movie that you were talking about. Barry Keegan is having the, one of the best performances. I think the best performance that I saw this year, man or woman, was that of Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water. Ah. Um, she is wonderful in this film, and is absolutely what makes this movie soar for me. Hmm. Uh, it's i mean it's it's heartbreaking it's inspiring i mean it's really the best vehicle for what del toro does best um for his visual style for his storytelling um this particular story itself i mean it is a modern day fairy tale but he manages to still give it stakes and i feel like that's what you need in a movie like this where you're taken out of reality you need to be you need to to have something grounded so that you can go, Hey, there are still things that are at play here that I need to be upset about, or I need to be interested in. Um, I mean, her performance is only rivaled by that of Michael Shannon's. Oh, I mean, my, a great Michael Shannon performance yeah, is like dime a dozen. It's like, really. well, it's like <laughs> yeah. I'm going to see a movie at a movie. Theater. Yeah, That's exactly. how surprised I am. He plays the type of guy who, would be voting for Donald Trump in his nineties. <laughs> like that's pretty much the best way I can describe him. Um, right, right. He's, he's every conservative instinct gone. Yes. Wrong. But I think it's absolute. I mean, it's shot brilliantly. I cried at the end of it. I'm not, I'm mm. not ashamed to say, I mean, I don't know what, really what it was. It was just the culmination of so many different things. Mm. And then I felt like the payoff at the end, uh, really did a, uh, a, a number on me. 
but it runs the gamut of emotions, as I mentioned. Um, and had it not really been for the sheer magnitude of my top two, I feel like it maybe would have competed for a number one. Wow. Um, I had a blast in his mm -hmm. world. I mean, this world he created from scratch, I had a blast in, and I want to live in his world. I want to live in his mind, really. Yeah, right. uh, and he's created a brilliant fairy tale. Did you ever see tale. the Del Toro exhibit at LACMA? Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah. So much fun. Oh, his, uh, had a blast. his journals and notebooks that were Amazing. on display are... I could have spent the whole time just flipping through those. Yeah. You know, it's it was really incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, I, and so heartbreaking that she's going to get passed over for other for this particular role well, also having to do most of this performance mute you know yeah it's is, is quite an achievement as well mm -hmm. yeah so i loved it shape of water number three yeah i lock it up i'm a little uh i'm finding i'm more a fan of spanish film del toro than american than, 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 than english language films i was a little more mixed on this one i i loved the things i loved about it were the things you loved. i love the fairy tale aspects of it um I, I don't think that its tethering to reality was a tenth of as strong as it was in Pan's Labyrinth. I think that was kind of where it fell short for me. Uh, was was the non was the non fantasy stuff I, I didn't think was as strong. Um, but I totally agree with the Sally Hawkins pick. Amazing. Um, I think she was amazing. Uh, and, so, and out of nowhere, like she's mm -hmm. been a character bit part. She's had little bits and pieces well, in there, like, and then know, um, here she does this amazing thing, and you're like, what so, happened? So Richard Jenkins is also in the movie, yeah. and it, it wasn't until he finally got a leading vehicle with the, the visitor way back, I think, in 08, mm -hmm. where we realized, oh, man, like the leading the leading role potential is finally explored, you yeah. know, and it was, was well-deserved. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the creature design quite a bit. I think it's a little too similar to Abe though from Hellboy. It, 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 just, <laughs> it is. It yeah, just it really of, is. It's just, I can't escape it. You know, yeah. I've, I've seen Hellboy. I like Hellboy. It's like, it's like Abe with just, you know, a little more bioluminescence mm -hmm. and a little more digital touch-ups. And by the way, it, it is kind of ridiculous that the movie was getting so much visual effects talk. Um, because practical baby. Most of it is all practical yeah. and it, there are some digital touch-ups Obviously, you could, uh, it'd be pretty tough to fake two sets of blinking eyelids, but yeah. um, that is mostly a practical suit and should be committed for pure costume design yeah. and, and and much less so in the visual effects realm. Twenty it was made it for like a twenty five million dollar movie, and <laughs> yeah. it looks way more expensive than that. Now, granted, they use about four sets, but mm -hmm. I mean, just the sheer mag, like the make. I mean, that's all makeup, makeup, and. Yeah, another Michael Stuhlbarg movie. <laughs> there <Right>. you go. <laughs> exactly. Comrade. Yeah. yeah Comrade um, Stuhlbarg. Exactly. I'm never going to turn down the chance to see a Del Toro fairy tale, nope. even if it doesn't work as, nope. as high for me nope. as other ones do. Um, my number three is The Florida Project. Ah. Uh, this was the next step up in cinematic sophistication from Sean Baker after his quote-unquote iPhone movie, Tangerine. Um, which which was, I never saw. I wanted to go back and, and check out. After, there's after, a very there's one. very clear themes in his movies um like tangerine this is a really warm honest upsetting humanist hilarious and just like empathetic look at a community that's operating on the margins of society like his focuses are really clear and he really wants to give people who don't get the spotlight the spotlight and look at them in a very real and funny and moving and, and dramatic way um so he takes place on in, a, in really a project like complex on the outskirts of disney world which adds all kinds of layers to this film like it's just it's youth and things it, like it that. is I mean, the, it's the like it's like um 
it's really like being on the outskirts of, of fantasy in a sense where you have this crushing and kind of claustrophobic reality just encroaching on the fantasy world of uh, this girl Mooney played by the, I will say the inimitable Brooklyn Prince. I don't know how he found these kid actors in this Not film, either. but there's just this youthful spontaneity and clearly improvised dialogue happening here that it feels literally like a kid just said it. It's like, I don't know how you would write this kid dialogue from the perspective of an adult. Like it's just, it's that kind of dialogue that's just like detached from the reality of your situation. You know, like you're, you're living, you're living in a fantasy world. Everything is epic and everything is amazing. And you add these, just these fantastical realms in, in, in your daily world that maybe you, you start to lose more and more as an adult. Um, if Willem Dafoe doesn't get like, I think Willem Dafoe is probably the best supporting actor of the year. Uh, he plays this kind of omniscient, almost like godlike presence over the uh, the project, where he's kind of your protector, but he's also the guy who calls you out on your shit. Mm -hmm. You know, like he's kind of the uh, the stern, loving hand um, of of the whole complex. Uh, I think my favorite shot of the entire year is the Dafoe character just lighting up a cigarette on the second floor of or second or third floor of this complex where it's magic hour sun's just going down you can tell he's had a hard day's work he lights up a cigarette and leans over the balcony and almost like fireflies just popping up in the distance the lighting of the project illuminates behind him and it happens in this almost like chain chain reaction kind of pop 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 pop, pop kind of mm -hmm. thing and it's like it really does solidify like his kind of his reign over this project and how so much of it is his responsibility um, and how none of it would really function without him. I thought it was just an amazing moment. Um, there's a gorgeous color palette at work in this film. Yeah, uh, purples, and the purples and oranges, oranges yeah. and, and it just, it just really adds this, this fantasy layer to the daily lives of these people just really just trying to survive. I mean, the whole movie is just about the struggles of, of surviving with people who don't, who weren't dealt a great hand in life and are consistently overlooked, I think, by the public at large. Mm -hmm. I mean, these people are really out there. They're having these lives and this movie um, gives them kind of their moment, you know, for better or, or for worse. And I thought it was just a, a, a movie with a huge heart and, uh, and just one of the more moving experiences of the year. I thought I agree that it, I mean it, mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I actually I didn't even think that Willem Dafoe even was the best performance in the movie. Mm. I thought the mother of Mooney oh, was, she was, she was great. absolutely amazing. She was like, great. Yeah, I left that movie thinking she should be the one who gets nominated. Like mm -hmm. she is, she. I mean, you talk about emotional roller coaster. I mean, she does it all, mm -hmm. and I feel like her devotion to her daughter, to a point, <laughs> right. is commendable. Yeah. Um, but just, it's funny because you, you, you go, man, she is a, such a bad mother at some well, point. Well, you so then you're like why her daughter is acting Exactly why ways. she is. Exactly. <laughs> like, it makes perfect sense. Um, but I just thought she was fantastic. And I think she, was, she yeah. drove the movie for me more specifically than Willem Dafoe. Oh, I, oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. so not that I connected with her more or anything like that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, so, I mean, it was just the, 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 the movie just had – 
it, it is so not our world. Like mm. it is just so not, it is in the same country and it is the same, you know, like, but it's not our day to day. Not at all. Like a hundred percent. And so that was really eye opening for me and interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, what do you do for fun? Oh, we go to this old condominium place that never got built or that got abandoned and we burn it down. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that's, that's oh, what you oh, do for fun. Oh, Mooney and her friends are terror on two legs yeah. in this movie. They're, they're like, they're like a just a band of it's like it's almost like it's like stand by me these kids just like wandering around with little adult supervision mm-hmm. and just getting into trouble mischief and mayhem <laughs> yeah yeah i uh i walked away from this movie even even for all of it, it ends on kind of a kind of a not depressing that's the wrong word but it ends on kind of a a sullen kind of key but there is there's also such just a joy and a, a youthful exuberance throughout uh, the course of this film that really made it uh, just one of the more enjoyable experiences of the year. My number two, Clayton, you're wondering what my number two movie of the year is. I'm wondering, Ryan. <laughs> Star Trek. Go fuck was, was, was there a Star Trek movie? Get out of here. Get out of my, get out of my apartment. No, my number two movie is the last Jedi. I, love that your number two movie is the last jedi it i am so uncomfortable with how close i think it is to being the best star wars movie oh my god we've needed this conversation this conversation has been lacking in my life i need to have this right now it's enthralling it's exciting it's exhilarating well we were going to devote a whole bonus segment to talking about this film but should we just i mean should we do it? Let's just talk it right now. Should Let's we talk have, about it. Should, should, should we have this? Now? And the reason I told you we were going to wait is because it's on here. <laughs> and not just on here. It's on here. It's on here. So a line that Kylo Ren says to Ray during this movie, let the past die. Kill it. <laughs> if you have to. And with that line of dialogue, Ryan Johnson basically is using his villain to tell the audience the exact same thing. <laughs> Ryan Johnson does not give a shit what you think about Star Wars. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to know what your headcanon is. He doesn't want to know what you think he should have happened. He doesn't want to be fan fiction wish fulfillment. No. He doesn't want to do that. And that's why this movie is incredible. I like this movie, but that is so not the case with so many Star Wars, <laughs> Star Wars fans. So I know. I'm, I'm thrilled you actually feel this way about because it. Because it's wonderful. And because it's... It does, th- and it goes places, and it does things that you wouldn't see in a Star Wars movie, and that is amazing, and that is great, and it's so frustrating because you get into the headspace of these people who don't, of people who don't like the movie, and it's that well, they didn't expect this thing to do this, they didn't expect this thing to do this. I didn't, you didn't expect? Are you making the movie? Star Wars doesn't belong to you. I'm sorry, it doesn't. It belongs to Disney, but this what movie, it, yeah, whether you, whatever, whatever you think about it, this is a clear vision from a director who wants to tell its story his way. Auteur theory, it really is. I mean, from 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 front to back, it's just. I mean, now there are some like I think you can take. I think you can probably cut out this some of the stuff on. Crate oh, I, I a little definitely bit, or I not on crate on a cantle bite a little I, bit. I definitely have criticisms towards the yeah. movie, but what it does well, oh, it does it, it does so really, well. really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably got the best lightsaber fight in the whole series. It's yeah. Well, with the most, I mean. I'm not sure if I'd say the most meaning behind it because some of that Luke Vader stuff was mm-hmm. pretty. Yeah, it's, there, it's pretty, there's it, some it, heavy stuff going on. There's some on really heavy there. stuff there, but the yeah. way they'd set up the characters, there's, there's just like an ambiguity 
in their relationships and you're not really sure how they really relate to each other in this moment but in this moment they're together they're together and they're nailing it and they're doing it the villain and the hero and the heroine from the first film are together in this mm-hmm. moment which is riveting and there's a there's a there's a sort of a uh, ambiguity like you said to it you go well who's going to turn is anybody going to turn are they like at that moment it's just like we got to survive at this moment mm-hmm. we'll you know screw the rest we don't know what's happening we'll, we'll let god sort it out yeah we we'll, have to get through this we need to get through alive. this first and then we'll figure it out um but really the 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 center of the movie is the relationship between ray ben solo and luke skywalker mm-hmm. and the balance no pun intended is what makes this movie so great Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are forces that are happening outside of it. I think a, a big um, theme of the movie is failure, which is sort oh, of, yeah. which is why I don't think you can necessarily lose that section on Canto, basically from Canto Bite to where they get captured, mm-hmm. uh, where Finn and Rose are, are. I don't think you can lose that scene because that is all wrapped up in part of the theme, I think. Yeah. Cause they uh-huh. don't, they don't succeed. Like people go, well, they did this whole thing and they yeah. went through the thing. It's it, that happens in movies all the time. It's, it's a MacGuffin. You can do, yeah. you can do these things that yeah. you think are important, but they're not. I, I and then that. it also I, wraps up what is happening thematically in it. And so, but Luke to me, this is a big sticking point for people and why I think people don't like this movie. Mm-hmm. And it infuriates me to no end. <laughs> Tell me why, Ryan. Well, I hear them say, Luke would never do this. Luke would never do that. I mentioned a little bit off the top. Mm-hmm. Guess what, guys? He's not going to be the same guy that he was 30 years ago. He's seen some shit. Okay? <laughs> there are things that have happened in his life. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's okay to change. It's okay mm-hmm. to be a different person. You're mm-hmm. not the same person you were 10 years ago when we first started this. Mm-hmm. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. He's definitely not going to be the same thing 30 years with all the stuff that's happened in his life, too. Mm-hmm. So... I'm more taken back by how seemingly off the page Mark Hamill is with the character. Well, he's come around. I, I think that there was some stuff floating around about how he didn't agree with the character or whatever. But then the second part of that, it's always taken out of context. The mm-hmm. second part of that interview, he says, hey, I talked it over with Ryan Johnson and I, actually I'm good with it. Like I wasn't okay with it at first. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a really satisfying hero arc. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets an, a real... Almost a mythological horror, uh, horror, yeah. uh, a mythological yeah. hero arc. Yeah, in this film, um, I I would have been thrilled with it if I was Luke Skywalker and Mark just, Hamill. Yeah, <laughs> he gets to act, he gets to do something, and I mean, this, and I think the the just the systematic removal of these characters from the Force Awakens and now from this. I mean, it's just a signaling that hey, this is not your time. Like we'll keep you in here, and and we'll. We'll, but we don't need to craft the story around these people that have, you know, from 30 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to create this whole new story. We're going to use you as a cog in the wheel for these stories, for the mm-hmm. story. And then eventually it's just going to, you know, you're going to have to go, though. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, thanks for what you did, and I appreciate what you did, but you got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but his sacrifice at the end in one of the most incredible scenes in a Star Wars movie in history mm-hmm. is Rose's quote embodied. Mm-hmm. She's sitting dying in her speeder Mm -hmm. and what does she say she says that's how we're gonna win not Mm -hmm. by killing what we hate by saving what we love Mm -hmm. that's what luke does Mm -hmm. he totally saves what he loves and that's Mm -hmm. his rebellion his sister and everybody i mean there are just so many things to it that 
it, it, the the criticisms of it don't make sense. Like, mm -hmm. well, you know, the force, you can't do that with the force. Do mm -hmm. you think any of the stuff in the force could be, have been done before then? <laughs> do we need to tell everybody what's going on? Nope. <laughs> the things we saw in the five movies pre preceding this or the six movies preceding this, those are the only things that the force can do. Mm -hmm. What about all the stuff that happened when we first saw it? Did you know that Luke could pull the lightsaber? Did you know the, the Jedi mind trick? All this mm. stuff. It's like, I can just pick all this stuff yeah. off. Yeah. I'm thinking a lot about this movie. Yeah, no, <laughs> okay. I, I can tell because you're probably having to fight a lot of negative energy about it. And I pretty much gave up talking about it like four days after I saw it. Because I just was like, I cannot understand. Like, I could not get into the headspace of people, of Star Wars fans that I know who mm. just didn't like it. And I go... Yeah. What is not to like? It is so exciting. I literally had my hands over my mouth for almost the entire climactic scene on crate. Like, yeah. oh, it's it's yeah. incredibly artfully done. Too. Yeah, God, wow, it's like a literal bleeding battlefield. Yeah, I absolutely loved everything about the set design, mm -hmm. the effects work. I love I love how Luke gets his moment at the end. Yeah, I I will say I don't love the fact that if I had to level criticisms at the Last Jedi, and I, I do have some. I don't like how the main characters are split up throughout the whole movie. Mm -hmm. I, I think really one of the strengths of uh, The Force Awakens was their play-by-play, -play, their dynamics with each other. I really wish they spent more time just together in this movie doing shit. I, I don't like how the screenplay keeps them apart. Mm -hmm. I I think the Rose and Finn storyline is definitely one it's of the... It's the weakest. It's, 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 yeah, it's the weakest sure. in the film. Yeah. But I, I, think all, I think all of the stuff on the casino planet I will accept because of the coda. Of this mm -hmm. film because it sets up the coda and the coda is i don't know how ryan johnson found a way to encapsulate star wars in one shot but he does hmm. which and shot it's a thrilling shot it's the last shot of the movie oh yeah yeah it's it's like it's like it's, it's what you didn't expect to get after you think the movie is going to conventionally end mm -hmm. you know it goes back to the casino planet for just a absolutely gorgeous and and chill inducing shot mm -hmm. it really is <laughs> yeah and it it, it I left the theater on just a high from that moment alone. And I, that's what I don't get is I don't get the people who don't see what this movie, what I do, what I think does well, you know? And I, that's, I think you introduce a lot of very complicated and nuanced character relationships and really give a satisfying hero arc to one of the, the greatest characters in pop culture mm -hmm. history, you know? I think Mark Hamill should be thrilled at the arc that yeah. Lilu gets in this. I mean, he is—he's like the savior. He's like the Christ figure in so many ways. And it, you know, some people are saying that they could have done without this much Luke in the movie. And I, I can kind of see that perspective. I can kind of see wanting, you know, the new cast to have their have their run at it because mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of Luke in this movie. But. But I, we didn't get any of, in the last mm -hmm. movie. Sorry, I'll let you finish. No, no we, didn't. Yeah, yeah. we didn't. We so. didn't. We also got a lot of. A lot of Han and Leia in the last yeah. movie too. So he's not this new series of films is not afraid to use the legacy characters in ex much more than extended cameos. Mm -hmm. You know, um, maybe it's there. You know, there's always there's always marketing reasons behind everything. I'm sure, but I am thrilled where Ryan Johnson took took yeah. in this movie, and I'm thrilled that he is going to basically, without having seen this movie in front of an audience, like just knowing how the production went how the movie was made and then the end result Disney was like 
here you go. Make make three more movies. <laughs> like they literally just said, here you yeah. go. Like the, the, just handed him the keys to the kingdom and just said, mm. do what you did here. Do that again three times. Yeah, I, I, people. What people don't understand, I think, is he didn't make this movie in a vacuum. You know, he had to have the support of of of, of the financial mm-hmm. backers the entire yeah. time. They were thrilled with this movie. Yeah. I, I I think that he made a very satisfying and distinct vision in this universe, and he expanded it. Yeah. You know? Like, he almost, he arguably wraps up this storyline in this movie, yeah. which I didn't see coming. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's almost it's like, like, what are you going to do now? What do you go from here? There's very little left on the page that was set up in The Force Awakens that can be explored, and I find that exhilarating. Which, yeah, is great because that's another thing of him just kind of kicking it to the curb mm-hmm. because there was a whole dramatic thing about... Who, who was Ray's lineage and how does she tie in with Ben and who does, you know, all this stuff. And it just goes, yeah, she was nothing. You were, you're nobody that, to yeah. me. Like, that's it. Like, that's just with the, with those two lines of dialogue, it, it, that's it. Yeah, like, it's, she, it's, you know, it's not the chosen one. It arc. wraps it up, which yeah. again, ties it back to the very end because I think what that also does is it shows that the stuff that's happening in this, because it's always been, Star Wars has always been a very micro look with a very macro feel, you know mm-hmm. I mean? The mm-hmm. whole, you got a whole universe and here we are telling the story of these like five or six main people. Mm-hmm. And so what this does is it really takes it to a macro level and it says, Hey, this is, this is happening all over the galaxy, all over mm-hmm. everywhere, all over the universe. Like people have the force over the universe and they could become from nothing. And the, the, the similarities between that kid, I read an article where, the reviewer was talking about how when he first saw that last shot, he thought, oh, my gosh, look how beautiful and gorgeous and look how this movie ends. And then he had a momentary panic because he goes, oh, my God, everybody's going to think this kid is going to be the face of the next movie. No, no, <laughs> no yeah, it's, it's, it's not at all. No, no, but it just it, it it unravels the story and it takes it to mm-hmm. a place that is a more is just an entire galaxy's worth of mm-hmm. things. And so yeah. I think that by doing that. You can take it anywhere. Like, granted, we're still going to see the same five or six people in the mm-hmm. next film, yeah. but you can tell stories for all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, really, like, people talk about that. That, And, I mean, every time I've seen it, I've seen it five times. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask that. <laughs> yeah, and every time. Because one of the questions that has to be leveled at you is, how many times did you see this movie? Because you saw Rogue One once in theaters? Yeah. Yeah, and that says it all, doesn't it? Rogue uh, One's trash <laughs> compared to this movie. Again, an opinion I share yeah. and I find increasingly difficult. More more yeah. difficult to defend because yeah. everyone seems to have the opposite opinion. Yeah, it, it's really it is very flipped. You go, "What do you think of the last Jedi? I don't really like it. What do you think of Rogue One? Loved it." What? What are you talking about? <laughs> no. No, not no. not so much. <laughs> but I mean, I, I mean, I'll end it with that my side of it is this with this. That sequence you know, we talk about the legacy characters and, you know, keeping them not as, you know, propping them into and plugging them into important story roles. Mm-hmm. You forget also that they are legacy, legacy characters. And so they, they, their moments between them as well. And that final scene with Luke and Leia in the hangar on crate. Yeah. Chill inducing. Oh yeah. I loved and, it. I loved it. I mean, and there's that, I, cause I was listening, as I was writing this last night, I was listening to the soundtrack and just the way that the, the the music feels so fresh, but then it puts in a segment from the original trilogy oh, yeah, into it. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about it right now. I have chills. And <laughs> it honestly looks like the last time they're ever going to see each other, mm-hmm. which at the time was not – that wasn't a thing. Like that wasn't 
you didn't know that that was maybe going to be the last time they're going to see each other. Knowing what we know now, the fact that Carrie Fisher has unfortunately passed away. Mm. Now it's like that sequence will live on. You like, mm. that is the final time those characters will probably ever see each other. Yeah. Cause of course Luke dies in the movie and Carrie Fisher passed away in real life. So, mm-hmm. I mean that, that sequence, that scene to me was just so powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, I mean, oh, Luke, when he comes out of the, th- it was like, forget it. That's yeah. it. I'm done. Like this, <laughs> this movie is wonderful. So, and it, it, yeah, I mean, it, there's, it, it is th- this, this movie and my number one movie are both, I mean, in terms of like, just have made quite an imprint on uh, my heart mm-hmm. and in my film going experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I you are literally the only other person I've talked to who's felt this way about the Last Jedi. Passionate, because <laughs> I Passionate. I went out there liking it quite a bit as well. I mean, I you know you put the the, the tacky label on it. I think it's you know it's probably like a, a a B B plus movie for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I cannot understand the fervent hatred this movie is getting. Oh, I'm gonna go back to one thing, quick thing you said, and then we'll have to move on. The whole thing about splitting everybody up, mm-hmm. they did that in Empire. Mm-hmm. I think that may have been an homage to the stuff happening in the Empire Strikes Back because all the characters were separated on that too. Because mm-hmm. that was one thing when I left Force Awakens was like, well, is the second movie going to be? Because they set that up in in the, at the end of Force Awakens, like, okay, Finn is in a coma mm-hmm. and Ray is on this island and mm-hmm. all these other characters are everywhere. How are we going to play this? Is mm-hmm. it is this just going to be like a rehash of Empire? And in mm-hmm. that sense, it was. In mm-hmm. every other sense, it wasn't. But mm-hmm. in the sense of like. The characters are split up. They're doing their own things, and then they have this yeah, come together. Yeah, it's more of a so. selfish criticism on my part because I just fair. love seeing them play off yeah, each other. Yeah, so that was much. great, and that was missing for most of the movie. I was like, ah, oh, I want more of it. And it was so funny to see that uh, to see that Poe and Ray had never met. I for, totally forgot when they introduced each other to each other at the end. They never met before. And I was like, great. Well, we've been spent four and a half hours with these people, <laughs> and they've never met. So yeah, yeah. No, I I really I really enjoy that you mm-hmm. that you picked this as your number two film of yeah. the year. Uh, and I'm happy you feel that way because I can, yeah. I can in solidarity we can we can enjoy this film even if the haters at large determined to spoil the party. At large, <laughs> all right. So well, that was my number two. That was a long exponential. Exp- uh, that was a long love fest. <laughs> okay, all right, we're good. We're good. We're good. Okay. I'm What's your number two? Your chest, yes, right? I am. Me too. Well, as previously described, my number two is Phantom Thread. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Damn yes. it! All right, I gotta go into my number one now. So Ryan, if okay. if uh, if. If you were, if I was to be suddenly become Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, okay, and you were to take me to Vegas, mm-hmm. and I was to inherit all the riches of the earth, if I could accurately predict your number one film of the year, I would. I think say I would be a very rich man. No, right now. yeah, I would say Vegas would not even put odds on it. <laughs> they would not want to lose any, any, any a dollar on that. Yes, um, but I will give you the pleasure, of course. My number one is Baby Driver. Mm-hmm. Could not be anything else. Mm-hmm. I ended up seeing it seven times in the theaters. <laughs> Which was my Dark Knight record. Yeah. And you had surpassed uh, Phantom Menace? Yeah, Phantom Menace was my one before it. <laughs> yes. Mm. <laughs> 99 was a different year. Come on, that was all right. It, it was a anyway, different time in our lives. It had a different feeling than The Last Jedi, but, you know, like, 14-year-old mm. Ryan loved The Phantom Menace. Yeah. And, 32-year-old Ryan loves The Phantom Menace, <laughs> That's too, where but... we'll part with. All right, fair. Um, I mean, that, I, I've said a lot about this movie, uh, but, I, I mean, to have seen your number one and number two movies combined 12 times, I mean, people don't even go to the movies 12 times in a year. Most people don't go Most ha- people. half that time. Yeah, and I year. saw two movies 12 times. That's pretty, pretty <laughs> impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, what else to say about it? Music, heist, 
John Hamm. It's got it's like it was made for me, really. <laughs> um, I will say, since we've spoken, there has been a bit of a tampering of the potential enthusiasm that I could have for this movie, um, partially because of Kevin Spacey. Um, uh. And that is, I mean, I don't even I don't want to get into any of that. He's a he's a monster. Um, <laughs> but I did watch part of it the other night last night actually just to keep it see if it's fresh in my mind it's funny how this pressure from the outside contains certain experiences it is to a point now i'm not gonna i mean if he ever works again which i highly doubt uh i don't think i'll see anything there but this is already art that has been happened it's already been done yeah um so Seeing him I mean, on I mean, screen, it's, it's like thinking about going back and watching, you know, American Beauty again, or Seven, or, seven, or, or the Usual Suspect, Suspect. or Glengarry yeah. Glen Ross. Yeah. It's like it's always going to be there now. But I think, it, yeah, it's it's the whole art from the artist, you know, conversation that people have very different opinions about. And I also think that that is a poor, a both of us. I think we can possibly do that because of our straight white male privilege that we have <laughs> like i mean that that is just that's that's just what it is like we, i saw get out 19 times right? okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would have seen it 20 times if, if you could have um but but i mean My number one film is i am not your negro <laughs> <laughs> it's a real movie but don't yeah. don't don't no it's a good movie don't but, write your but write your hate mail no that's a good movie it is yeah it's, it's, um <laughs> but anyway despite all that it 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 succeeds on so many technical levels i mean criminally passed over for best director but very well uh nominated for editing sound editing and sound mixing um i think it's going to be as i mentioned talked about discussed dissected film classes editing classes forever um the soundtrack is almost a character on its own which i've never said about it's, a movie uh, it's absolutely it's on character i mean but it's arguably the lead character to say that about a soundtrack to say that about a, not even a, a character a physical human being character in a movie is crazy um star making turn for ansel Elgort. i think it's so great that he has uh he's kind of accepted on social media his babiness really and <laughs> is just cool to be baby you know and i think that him driving around in the snow in the baby driver car i don't know if you saw that mm-hmm. but yeah there was like when when new york had frozen over he mm-hmm. said don't worry guys baby's coming for you and he was doing like donuts and figure eights like on the ice in the baby <laughs> driver car which i think is really cool i think that yeah. that's fun that he can accept how much fun he had with the character it's not just like oh it's a role i did i'm just that's it that's all it is um but Wright deserves all the credit here. I mean, the, the, he's the he's the driver of Baby Driver, really. Uh, I mean, he's crafted one of the most original whirlwind theatrical experiences for me in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, the, the 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 impact pop culturally that this movie and both and the Last Jedi have had on me is immeasurable. Mm. Um, and the craft and the, the care that he takes with every aspect from the soundtrack to the action sequences, planning them within an inch of their lives. I mean. To that opening, to basically putting that opening sequence in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's crafted, of course, the absolute best film of the year. Baby Driver, motherfuckers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, well, I I find it really interesting that this movie had such an effect on you. Because um, I just, I was just was not as enthusiastic. Like, for me, I'm definitely positive on the movie. I, it was an enjoyable experience. But yeah. For me, this is kind of more in his, like, Scott Pilgrim. Like, okay. like I, I'm such a bigger fan of the Simon Pegg and Nick Frost movies that I, I think it's going to be very hard to top anything that he does that doesn't feature those two. Um, and I, I also think this movie is kind of hamstrung by 
how good the first two scenes are. <laughs> yeah. Because the first two scenes are so good mm-hmm. that I almost feel like the rest of the movie can never catch up to them. Uh, I did find it really exhilarating how the movie was essentially it was a living soundtrack, right? Mm-hmm. It was edited and it was cut to exactly the music that is inhabiting the life of its main character. And it's a pretty good lens into the world at which he lives, where he has this debilitating ear condition and he has to kind of drown out the humming with all this music. And that's kind of what his life would be like. It'd be like song to song. And you know, the songs would, would be like a soothing kind of therapeutic mm-hmm. uh, angle into his life. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just think that the, <laughs> I, I just never think the rest of the movie recovers from how good the first two scenes are. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Was I correct? Hmm. Or w- were you correct in thinking my best movie was Baby Driver? Let's wrap that thread up. Because you said you would go to Ryan, Vegas and bet all your riches on it. Ryan, that speaks for itself, I think. Uh, I, it. I think um, the, the, the subtle clue you dropped <laughs> about four or five months ago that you were on your sixth iteration yeah. of this film... <laughs> Uh, really left me with nowhere to go. No, but assuming Baby it. Driver was your number one, you have film to do. I know it's sort of a it's it's kind of a letdown. It's the the the, the drama is not necessarily there like that would have been with other years. But uh, no, yeah, couldn't but, it could not have been anything else. This I mean, one this this one was a foregone conclusion. Yeah, it was. And it was. It, and if if you hadn't picked it, I would have felt like you were being overly dramatic mm-hmm. and and disingenuous to yourself. Fair, fair. Well, good thing I wasn't. So that yeah. being said. Close it out for us, Clayton. What's your number one movie? Uh, you stole my thunder a little bit, Ryan, as you I... as you often do. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You're the you're the guy who makes me feel like I haven't. I'm not the first one to talk about my number one film. <laughs> yeah, I think we did that a couple of years. Yeah, the last couple of years. <laughs> well, you talked about okay, it's the exact same scenario because I think Ex Machina was your number. It was not, up there. Nine films. Yeah, something like that. Right. Of and it was and my. Like, it was my number one with a bullet, as, yeah. you, as you're so fond of saying. Right, and it's the same story this year. My number one is "Call Me by Your Name," mm-hmm. a movie you also had at number nine. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, so we got some weird, uh, weird revisiting yeah. of of past uncomfortable moments. For All right, me. well, lay it on me, Slick. I really didn't write too much about this, preparing for it, because the experience of sitting through it was like just a masterclass in what I love about cinema. Um, This was like the most lushly photographed and textured cinematic, just dreamscape of the entire year for me. Uh, It was like, honestly, you know, it was like just cuddling under a warm blanket without the, the pejorative connotations of like comfort food. You know, It, it was like just slipping into the lives of other people and, inhabiting it so in such a satisfactory and complete manner that it was the only choice I could have had for number one um, this year. Uh, the suddenly ubiquitous Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, who would have thunk uh, it? Like, I saw him literally in three movies in a row in three consecutive days. I'm like, wow. what the, who fuck, is, is what the fuck is happening? <laughs> like, I saw him in Lady Bird as the hilarious, like, conspiracy theory-driven mm-hmm. first, you know, yeah. second boyfriend. Nihilist or something. Nihilist, yeah, 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 of, yeah. Of, of Lady Bird, um, who, you, who you think any second is just going to start talking about the Illuminati, mm-hmm. you know? And then... I went to Call Me By Your Name and was completely blown away by his performance. And then the next day I saw Hostels, where he oh. where he plays this much smaller and much less you know meaningful role. But it was just like, 
is he just in every movie now? Yeah, like, him and Michael Stuhlbarg are just yeah. in everything, I guess. Did the movie world decide collectively that I'm going to see this face in every third movie I see this <laughs> yeah. year? But uh, his performance in Calling By Your Name is so good, it's kind of annoying. Because <laughs> he's so young, right? Well, he's so young and he's so confident and precocious and wise beyond his years in this film that I feel like he's trying his hardest not to smirk throughout the movie because it's just working so well. And he's like, I am nailing this right now. I am killing this role. <laughs> and you are all bearing witness to my greatness. <laughs> um, uh, it gives us what we always wanted and what you've always wanted, and that's more Army Hammer. Um, yes. I think after your review of Nocturnal Animals, when I think you said, Army Hammer is so good in things, can we just put him in more roles? <laughs> he really is. I don't understand it. And he just brings this, like, he just brings this confident and declarative and like proper presence to anything he's in it's the tone of voice it's the the physical presence it's the old hollywood good looks mm -hmm. you know and he's supposed to be playing someone at least 10 years older than Tim timothy chalamet is in this film and timothy chalamet being a minor they go to great lengths to establish his consent in, mm -hmm. what, in what's happening in this film uh, I think at least two or three times there's there's a consent kind of line of dialogue, yeah. which I think probably had to be there uh, or else you would kind of start to look at uh, Army Hammer like you would have um, Michael Fassbender in a movie like Fish Tank where he's like, is he this kind of legitimate love interest in this person's life who's much younger or is he kind of in the immoral opportunist vein where he's, he's taking advantage of this, you know, this really precocious but naive mm -hmm. kid who's coming to terms with his sexuality um but army hammer adds such a, a great role to this uh they're the kind of the cat and mouse between them and the seduction that happens before their relationship is consummated is just some of the most uh, gorgeously photographed and, and and just beautifully textured moments of the year for me uh it's like you're being in this movie for me was like just stepping into a painting or something and everything about it every shot is just so well calibrated and it and it just, it just has such a life to it um all of the all the environments all the set pieces it's just like i'm really just there experiencing these two kids these two people's uh worlds you right almost now. said kids yeah i know kids right <laughs> yeah. because, no but that's yeah. but that's interesting because it kind of is well it's very youthful that way it is it's, they, it's, they it's both have an exuberance no. to them for this relationship and, 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 and army hammer has his character has has been through this before before and he's he's well aware of this side of him and the timothy chalamet character is almost oblivious to it you know, like it's it's kind of it's a burgeoning and it's it's an, it's an awakening that he's coming to terms with. And Army Hammer's like, well, I've seen this side of me before, and I know when I'm not being good and when we should stop because I'm going to regret these things. And you know, it, it's still a society at large where I think the HIV epidemic is just probably starting to come into the the public spotlight. And and the uh, well, I think actually, mm -hmm. I think actually that's why they said it when they said it because yeah. that mean because I think that well, no, I think because it's earlier than HIV. Mm -hmm. I think it pre the, the, it's, the, it's the right movie. The, the cusp of yeah, it, yeah, but I think the, the thing like they were trying to say like, hey, no, mm -hmm. the, this isn't a thing that can be a thing. So, right. Yeah. 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 It, was, it was before that entire you know the epidemic. Yeah. Was exactly. Just unfairly used to malign the homosexual mm -hmm. community and all of that. Yeah. And it's it's something about uh, coming of age sexual movies. Like I mean. This movie is just a, a companion movie to Blue is the Warmest Color. Yeah. Um, also my number one film. Of, yeah, of that I know. I was, just, I was thinking that. Also yeah. about a same-sex relationship. And while that earlier movie was on a slightly you know, more dramatic and serious 
key. This one is a little more light on its feet and just not, there's still definite moments of like dramatic pathos in it and the Stolbarg uh, uh, monologue is, is, is definitely one of the, the most serious and well-written and well-delivered yeah. moments of the year. But uh, this movie I just felt like was perfection all the way through to the last shot which was incredibly risky mm -hmm. uh, and essentially you want to spoiler people who haven't seen it, but it's just, a, it's a really brave move to kind of let the credits of your movie roll out on somebody's face. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't, you're not sure it's going to work while it's happening. Cause like, are they really going to do this right now? And you just go through this entire gamut of emotion on this kid's face and you see, you see his experiences kind of play out in real time because, uh, you know, it's it's like the story of first love, you know, and the first love really hardly ever works out. Like, it's always the most one of the most memorable experiences of your life, but it rarely ends on the first love, and you just kind of see that all play out on his mm -hmm. face. And, yeah, it was uh, one of those things where you're like, yep, that's my number one film. Okay. <laughs> I It took me a little bit of, of thought on it mm -hmm. to get to where I – where I was with it mm -hmm. because I wasn't as enthusiastic about it when I first came out of it. And then as I marinated on, I thought about it a little more. I mean, just, I think that ending to me, just basically from the sequence where they go off together and then they, and then the Stuhlbarg monologue and then that final shot. I mean, that segment right there, I felt like was the strongest point of it for me at least. Um, and that vaulted it, I think a little bit further up. And as I thought about it more, I think I enjoyed it a mm -hmm. lot more. Um, mm. I don't know if, if I'd watch it again, but mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like yeah. I, I'm going to buy this film immediately and yeah. it'll probably be on my DVD shelf for all time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm completely, completely sold on calling by your name. It's there like my number one without any, any, any hesitation or without any like competition. That. There you go. <laughs> well, well we did it again. 10 years. Our 10th year of relaying 10 films. <laughs> we've, Again. We've brought 100 films at you. Ten, 200 total. 10s are wild. 10s are wild. Yeah, and more if, if you count the, the Baroga chapters. Oh. But... <laughs> Mike, we love you if you're out there. Nah, re rest in peace, Mike. <laughs> rest in all the peace, Mike. <laughs> well, thank you for coming with us on this journey, and thank you for continuing to be with us, and I'm sure we'll be bringing this until we're... Ryan, you I know, dare say I hope we do this for 10 more years. You know what? Let's make it 100. Let's make it 100 more fucking years. <laughs> yeah! Well, All right. For our 10th year of the McShank, also known as the McShroga cast at various points. What did I tell you? No, forget about that. Forget All right. About that. All right. I'm off Baroga. We're off Baroga. <laughs> We're off Baroga. We're out of Get out of here. <laughs> for the 10th year of the McShank podcast, I'm Clayton. I'm Ryan. Thank you for coming on this journey with us. We will see you next year. <laughs>